You don't get it, son. This isn't a mud hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. in broad daylight. I know why you're afraid to go out at night. The Batman. See, Batman had shown Gotham the true colors. what you've done with the place. This is all your fault! <sighs> what did you do to the world? Oh, Barry. That's the beauty of all this. I didn't do any of it. <gasps> you did. Think, Barry. Isn't there some little thing, some little good deed you might have done? I saved someone. Yes. I saved her. I saved Mom. <gasps> That's right. No. No. It wouldn't have changed all this. It wouldn't have changed what happened before her murder. Bruce's parents. Clark's landing. Oh. But it did. Break the sound barrier and there's a sonic boom. You broke the time barrier, Flash. Time boom. Ripples of distortion radiated out through that point of impact, shifting everything just a tiny bit, but enough. Enough for events to happen slightly differently. I just wanted to save her. Her hero. How noble. Oh, wait. You didn't stop JFK from getting assassinated, or make sure Hitler stayed in art school. You saved your mommy. You missed her. And in a supreme act of selfishness, shattered history like a right amateur. Turned the world into a living hell moments away from destruction. And I'm the villain? What has happened in Citizens of Gotham? Welcome back to the Eternal Night Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the world's greatest detective, the Dark Knight of the DC Universe, Batman. I am one of your hosts, of course, joined by my awesome co-host, Mr. Craig Blaylock. I am Philip Barker. Thank you again for joining us. Welcome to the cave. Craig, how are you doing tonight? Doing good. It's good to be back in the cave. Going to be talking some Batman stuff and, well, actually, you know, DCEU and DCU stuff, you know, 
it's a hodgepodge of both Batman yeah. related and you know the grander universe that could have been related but yes uh, before we get into any and all of that uh, we have a little bit of housekeeping as always to get out of the way if anyone wants to follow us along feel free to follow us on tw- sorry the X app no mm. longer Twitter <laughs> And don't Twitter. forget to do to put to put out your posts on the X app. Right, as goofy as that sounds, goofy as shit, goofy goofy shit. Anyway, uh, you can follow us just at tek underscore podcast there, as well as Instagram. Uh, you can also follow myself on Vero Instagram Threads and X, formerly Twitter. Formerly Twitter thing. It's it's going to be inevitable until they either change it back to Twitter or they they everyone just gets used to X. So, so that's just kind of how I'm putting it out there. Um, anyone wants to feel free to drop us an email if they have any questions or comments. EternalNightPod at gmail.com. Also feel free to take thirty to ninety seconds to review us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever podcast app you have if it allows you to. Please and thank you. It helps get the show noticed. Um, outside of that. We also have another new concept that I kind of thought up, and I ran it by Craig, because we, we, we kind of started doing something like this a long time ago, but we haven't really revisited the idea, and that's like picking up a Batman book and kind of talking about it on the show. Well, I kind of came up with a name for it, and there's a funny origin behind it. So initially, I had thought of something like the Batman bookshelf, which I guess in a, in a sense makes sense because Craig and I have Batman books and we'd obviously like pull them off the shelf and you know read and review them whatever the problem is that is just a name very too similar to another podcast that I used to listen to called the Batman Book Club and I didn't want any confusion made with that so instead of that I thought of another I thought of just something else I thought I was talking with a friend, a friend of mine Chris Evans who's a friend of the show talking with him about it and he was just like um, yeah, I, I don't know. He, he, me or him mentioned something about a comic book rack, and then I was like, "What about the bat rack?" Ding, ding, <laughs> bat rack, because bats rack, right? <clears throat> the bat light went off. Exactly right. The signal went off. So, uh, from now on, at some point in the future, we're gonna have episodes dedicated to Batman books, and we're gonna call it the Bat Rack Issues. I don't know if necessarily it'll be issues, single-issue comic books, but definitely it'll be recommendations or reviews, outright reviews of stuff that we have read or want to read, more or less mm-hmm. stuff we have read. And, and at the moment, if I can make a recommendation, uh, I actually got this off Amazon. It was the last of it in stock, a hardcover edition of Damien, Son of Batman, written and drawn by the great Andy Kubert. And it details the story of how Damian Wayne essentially ascends to the role of Batman. It's kind of an Elseworlds story, and it picks up uh, loosely on the events of uh, the Batman 666 issue written by Grant Morrison, where Damian Wayne is, in fact, a future version of Batman, where he is a murderous, evil, literally soulless Batman. It is insane, but this book kind of acts as a prequel to that story. What? Damian, a killer? No way. Yeah, right? Who would have thought? Yeah, like he, he um, the book kind of opens up with Damien and Batman investigating like this giant death scene at a pier with a bunch of Jokerized fish and dead bodies everywhere. Batman gets too close to a Jokerized fish and like there's a bomb in this fish and it goes off. Batman dies. Spoilers. Um, so in in that case, Damien takes it upon himself to just kind of do some soul searching, and his first place he's led to is, well, he goes back home to visit mom and grandpa. 
Huh. If you know who Damian Wayne's parentage is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, well, it, it doesn't quite go his way. Um, yeah. He, he actually, matter of fact, he goes to them for help and advice, and he's straight up turned down. Like Talia's like, nope, we're not helping you. And Rachel <laughs> Ghoul, it's, 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 it's more so because they, they kind of, in a way, want him to honor his father but at the same time they're scolding him because he took you know he took instead of turn, going down the route of being a, a league of assassin king he decided to become a robin so yeah his mother chastised him for it but Raish tells him like straight up like look you know we have to sever ties with you because of your lineage to batman but at the same time you need to do what's necessary and become the next batman basically telling him like you have an opportunity here you better seize it if you're smart Hmm. Interesting. Now, would that create a, a power dynamic between the two of them? Oh, absolutely. And like, even, there's, yeah. e- there's even a point where Talia tells him, like, look, you were made for perfection. You were literally bred in a test tube after I coerced Batman into a night of shenanigans. Mm-hmm. And, well, you were made to be the perfect leader, and you decided to become a Robin. How sad. Like, she... She flat out tells him that's sad. Like that you decided to become a vigilante crime fighter. That's sad. Hmm. It's it's very endearing. I think I think Andy. I've always been a fan of Kubert's art. Like Andy Kubert's one of my favorite DC artists, especially when it comes to Batman. Like he did. Uh, most recently, I think I talked about it last. At least at least when we started the podcast, you know, at the time when I was reading comic books more avidly, uh, he was doing the art for Tom Taylor's Batman the Detective book. I don't know if I talked to you about that. I think you've mentioned it before, yeah. Pretty solid story. Another Elseworldy take on Batman, where he's rounding around London. He's older. He's got a bunch of different tech. He's working with a couple different people, and he's taking out um, basically copycats, like other Batmen. It's like like what if Batman Incorporated went rogue and decided to start doing their own thing? Hmm. That's more or less the gist of it. I don't necessarily... It's been a while since I've read that, so I could be off on some of the details, but that's kind of the idea but anyway uh, going back to the Damien Son of Batman book I have this I, I initially have this book in the four issues like I, I have the initial four issues when they when they were coming out and I have them in my box but when I saw that this had a hardcover for 20 bucks I was like oh there's no no way I'm passing up on this yeah it's one you of my never f- pass up, you, you never can pass up a good hardcover collection especially if it's at a price like that Right, exactly. And this is one of my favorite stories with one of my favorite Robins. So I, I, I'm i a little biased when I when I recommend it. But at the same time, like, you know, Andy Kubert's a very quality artist. Like, he's up there in terms of detail with, like, I would even actually say he has a bit more of a refined style. Like, him and Jim Lee have very similar styles in terms of art and, like, page layouts in terms of uh, just how they, they, they make characters look. But there is just some bit more definition with, with Andy Kubert. Whereas Jim Lee, uh, I think Jim Lee is getting you. You Jim Lee is getting up there with like, um, bless his soul, um, George Perez. Like where you you see you see George Perez like draw the same thing, and it's been there's really no like almost an evolution to it. Like once they hit that peak, they 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 that's they stay at that peak. I think Jim Lee has stayed at his peak for like the last ten years. I haven't necessarily seen like an evolution per se whereas Andy Kubert on the other hand like he's just a much more when it comes to shading and detail 
I think he's a little bit more refined and it gets a little bit better anytime he does a book. But, you know, the last book I saw again was uh, The Detective with Tom Taylor. I mean, just looking at this cover alone of Damien, Son of Batman, just really striking. You've got Damien in the basically kind of like the old school Robin outfit mm -hmm. with the dual katanas and he's got a Joker fish stab through one of the katanas and mm -hmm. then you got a, a lifeless Batman in the background. Yeah. Very striking cover. Yeah, I've always been a huge Robin fan in general, like no matter which one it is. I mean, I, I lean a lot more towards Tim Drake and Damien, arguably. Yeah. Um, yep. I mean, I know, I know a lot of fans are, are pretty hardcore Dick Grayson fans, and that's totally fine. But uh, I'm more of a a Tim and Damien. Matter of fact, I think that would be a very interesting combination right there. If like if I ever got the chance to do like a, a team up book of sorts, Robin and Red Robin. Mm, yeah. Because they 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 their their chemistry is so opposite. It's it's almost like it's almost like Bruce and Damien, but it's brotherly. It's going to be a little bit different. Like, I don't think Tim necessarily has that same kind of restraint that Bruce does. Like if, if him and Damien were left alone in a room, you could probably guess within six hours, Damien and Tim are fighting maybe less than that. Oh yeah. They'd be coming to blows. Yeah. 100%. But just overall, like, again, the, this book is just incredibly well-written. It has some really immaculate art to it. And I just I highly recommend it as a, as a Robin fan. So, yeah, that, that, that'd be my first entry on the bat rack, if you will. What was the last book you got? Death Metal, right? Metal or Death Metal, one or the other? Knights? Yeah, I'm working my way through, like, the whole metal kind of storyline. I started with the... I bought the Batman Who Laughs. That's and then a good from one. there, And then from there, I started getting the Metal series. I think I have... I think I have all of them. Because what was it? It was Death Metal... So it's um, Dark Knight's Metal. So I guess it actually kind of begins with, um, I mean, if you wanted to, you could start with uh, Batman Who Laughs and then work your way into Dark Knight's Metal. But I know there's there's like a, a, a prelude. It's like, um, I don't, I can, I can never remember the name, but there is a prelude book where not only is the Batman who laughs introduced, but all the other dark variants of Batman are also introduced in the same book. But oh, okay. there's there's that, and then Dark Knight's Metal, then Death Metal. Okay. I think Death Metal is the one I have not purchased yet. Okay, Death Metal yeah. is... Looking, looking at these covers, yeah, I do not own Death Metal yet. Oh, dude, I've got all seven issues of Death Metal. Death Metal is nuts. <laughs> like even more even more nuts than uh Batman who laughs and metal. Oh yes. 100%. Like okay. don't, don't get me wrong, like Dark Knight's metal is like one of the the most beautifully crafted new stories in Batman's history. You, you, the the very idea of it you're just like what? But then you yeah. read the book and you're like I get it. It's yeah. really good. Like uh, Scott Snyder for the most part has written some really intense great Batman stories. He's had some hiccups. I, I cannot deny that. Like the whole Gordon as Batman and the bunny bot suit and like um, the Mr. Bloom stuff. Like Mr. Bloom was cool in concept, but like he, he was not as well received. Like not, I wouldn't say well received, but he just didn't, he did not hit as well as the Court of Owls did. I don't know if you're familiar with the Bloom character or not. 
I've heard of Bloom, but I, I'm not familiar with the character. Okay, yeah, he was introduced in Snyder's run, I want to say issue 49? Something like that? Way back in, like, almost over a decade, just under a decade ago, 2013, 14, I don't really remember what year, but yeah, he was definitely introduced in, like, the middle, the middle section of, of Snyder's run on Batman. I think he was introduced when Gordon was still Batman too, because that was a that was quite an interesting time for DC Comics. They shook everything up. And I do recall I I don't know the storyline about it, but I do remember the whole Gordon like bat robot thing because I remember like internet just losing it over that. So Volume Seven of Snyder and Capullo's run was Endgame. That's where Batman and Joker initially had their like you know their final bout. And then Volume 8, Super Heavy, is where the, the Gordon Batman stuff starts. But they go back to Bruce, I think, by, like, issue 50 or 51 or 52. So Volume 8 or 9 jumps Bruce back in, into the, the the Cape and Cowl. And then mm-hmm. I, th- I want to say not long after. I don't remember how many volumes Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo had, but I know they had at least 10. Um and then they started doing the the metal and death metal stuff. Well, no, actually, they took a break, then came back and did the metal and death metal. Because hmm. for a while there, Scott Snyder was actually doing an, another spin on All-Star Batman, and I think he had a couple rotating artists on there, and I think he started that run with John Romita Jr. While Greg Capullo did some of their stuff. Yeah, I actually, so just after, actually the most recent thing, I, I actually reread something. Um, I went back uh, after last week, um, I took my daughter to, if anyone follows me on Instagram, I took my daughter to go see um, the new Ninja Turtles movie, uh, Mutant Mayhem, which was absolutely fantastic. Probably one of the best movies I've seen this year so far. Just cosine. absolute fun time. Cosine. What's that? I said cosine. Oh, cosine. Cosine. <laughs> cosine. Yeah. It, 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 is, it is with... It, Look, if we're going to give many Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle reviews right now, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It, it is hands down, without question, one of the best ones, if not right up there with the 1990 movie. It is, without question, the best one since the 1990 movie. Yep, I totally agree. Yeah, I came out of that movie just with the biggest grin on my face and just going, they nailed it. Look, I'll, totally eat, crow. Nailed I'll, it. I'll eat crow. I went. I was not expecting this movie to be as good as it was. I thought. Same. I thought. I was, Seth, I was in the exact same boat. Like I thought, Seth Rogen was just going to deliver a like you know, dick and fart nonsense. Like you know, in, mm-hmm. in the vein of of Gun and other you know like Taika Waititi. I thought it was going to be something along those lines. No. Nope. Yeah. Nope. He did. He understood the assignment. He got yep. it. And I will eat crow on that. Like I was hesitant of having kids voice the turtles. It worked. It worked yep, out totally really worked. well. It totally worked, dude. It was so good. The, the the chemistry between all four of them, them meeting April, everything about the movie was fantastic. And even just like getting into the animation of it, it was just beautiful to look at. Like even even though it had like kind of an edge to it, it was just it was exciting to see a new spin on the turtles, and it felt faithful. Yeah. What I was so one thing that I just want to throw out there that I'm already getting tired of people saying is that oh it's it's ninja turtles but they decided to copy spider-verse just just because it has a kind of comic book look to it this does not 
this does not invoke Spider-Verse to me. This looks like like the way the world is designed, the way the colors are, even the way the characters are designed. This literally looks like a kid drawing out their Ninja Turtles fantasy. Like, if you notice, like, the humans are really distorted oh, in yeah. this movie. 100%. I mean... Like, it comes across as, like like a teenager trying to draw up their own Ninja Turtles graphic novel. Yeah, and I mean, I had just watched the uh, the Turtle Power documentary that's on Paramount Plus that details the origins of the Turtles, and it goes back to Mirage Comics, Eastman and Laird, yeah. like all of that mm-hmm. stuff, right? So getting to see this film, my my takeaway from it was, okay, they they took a lot of the elements that were either, either in the initial comic book, the first movie from 1990, or the television show, and they basically threw it all in a blender and had this. Like, I know you were kind of disappointed with Baxter Stockman, I'm uh, I I can understand it the way they utilized him in this film it's completely understandable I think my approach to it was they kind of split up his character because you know and depending on what iteration you have of Baxter Stockman he's either a scientist or he's a genetically altered scientist fly thing or he's a Mm -hmm. robot in this movie he's just a scientist and he's there for not so long, long in the movie Five minutes. <laughs> Five minutes. But I, I, th- I think that there is room for him to come back in a, in a sequel installment, given the way that that's kind of what I'm thinking, honestly, because they never said he died. I mean, they they make the implication that he did, yeah. but but given the nature of TCRI and Cynthia Utram, whom was actually brought to my attention by another friend, Ray Smith, who runs the flight cast. Um, do you know the species of Krang? Do you know what they're called? Mm-hmm. The Otrums. Yep. Yep. And if you pay really close attention to the things that she says, the way she says them, mm-hmm. it's very Krang-like. Well, and you notice her glasses. Exactly. The way, and the way it, they're designed. Not even just the glasses, dude. Even her, her outfit. Outfit, yep. I'd yep. even say the structure of her head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even when she smiled. It was the yep. smile that's kind of a giveaway. Yep. But no, like, like overall... The thing that really sold me on this was listening to Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's yeah, score. The like score. Anyway, no, like that that score to TMNT Mutant Mayhem was just absolutely spectacular. Like that that yeah. was really the thing that I, when I listened to it, I tried not to pay too much attention to the soundtrack names. But then again, after listening to the entire soundtrack before seeing the movie, even listening to it and seeing the soundtrack titles doesn't even spoil the movie in in ways you would think. Yeah. Yeah, totally. An awesome soundtrack that matches everything that's going on in the film. That uh, that like booming, kind of intimidating track when the uh, the the kind of final battle is going on. I dug that so much. It was so man, Dresner and Ross knew what they were doing. Like it was yep. just so damn good. And it's if you've if you listen to the Watchmen OST they did for the TV show, it's in that mm-hmm. same ballpark. It's so damn good, yeah. so good. Oh, you know, I bet they would make a kick-ass soundtrack to a Batman Beyond movie if Warner Brothers ever dude, decided I, to make one. Dude, I would love that. Right? A Batman Beyond movie with them doing the soundtrack? Yeah, right? sign me up. Right? Sign me sign me the F up. But, to, but to... yeah, so yeah, so to trail back, so like, by seeing that movie, I had to go back and I grabbed my, um, my graphic novel of Batman versus TMNT. I was just going to bring that and, up. Like I, I yeah. looked at, I looked at mine not too long ago, and I was like, I need to read these again. 
it's just fun, man. It just like the animated movie. Now the graphic novel does is much more grounded. Yes. I mean, there are some like goofy moments in it, but you can definitely tell when they decided that they were going to do an animated movie. They were like, guys, we we can't make it as like dark and gritty as like the graphic novel is. The graphic novel, and honestly, reminds me of those old the original Ninja Turtles comics because a lot of people don't recall that like that initial run of ninja turtles is brutal oh, like dude it's a it's a send-up of com you know they basically said back then let's do this goofy idea of these human-sized turtles that know ninjutsu but we're gonna put them in very brutal brawls that final fight between them and shredder in the initial run is brutal can't find it right now but i've got a fat collection of tmnt volume one from the early days yeah and even after watching that that uh that doc like yeah they're, they're, they they kill the shredder in the first issue of that book they do and and it's it, it's brutal oh yeah <laughs> leonardo does not use his swords to cut up uh robots let's just say that in well, the initial run to just also tie it into batman there is a really great batman joke in the very beginning of that movie mm-hmm mm-hmm like straight up it it it, yep. it, 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 it it the way and not only that not only is it a great joke it's a great homage and it's also very reminiscent of a lot of famous turtle pictures of all of them on top of a roof next to each other with the white eyes yeah it's perfect yeah, yeah i loved it but spoilers for anyone who has not seen this movie it also does a thing very reminiscent of batman begins and dare i say it it does it yeah. better better Yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, you know <laughs> what? Like I said, spoilers, skip forward by like a minute or t maybe two or three. I don't know. But if yeah. you have not seen this movie, and I, I do not really want to spoil it for you, but then again, if, you, if you're going in to see this movie, you know, probably already know what I'm going to say. Yeah. This movie has a post credit stinger with Cynthia Ottram's character mm -hmm. saying, bring me the Shredder, and you, the camera pans out, and you see the Shredder in all his metal glory, but it's through a silhouette. But still, like, yep. even just that silhouette, I was like, ooh, I want to see him. What are they going to do? What are they going to do with him? What got me the most excited about that is you can't really tell by the outline, but it very much invoked not just the original comic. It did kind of give me hints of the 90s Shredder. Yep. Just the way he was standing and the clothes he was wearing, I got vibes from the 90s Shredder. Well, even just after watching this movie, I'm just like, okay how much of the 90s movie are they going to pull from the second one? Because yeah. if, you, if you have TCRI, if you have all these, like, ooze things, if you have that, are we going to get Toka and Rezar against Bebop and Rock? First thing City that popped to my... Yep, oh, that's the first thing that popped to my mind, too. We're going to get Toka and Razar in the next one. That'd be slick if they did that. Not going to lie. I, th I think that would be super cool. But to tell you... Because, I mean, you could very well easily do it. You know, the fact that Bebop and Rock City are kind of, like, good guys now... Bebop and Rocksteady versus Toka and Razar in the second one. Yeah, and then they lose, and then they go over to Shredder's side because they want to be on the yep. winning side. <laughs> yep. Something like that, I don't know. But yeah, no, that movie was dope. But yep. also, Damien, Son of Batman is a dope book. D Dark Knight's Metal, more dope books. Um, yep. 
I'm sure in the coming episodes we'll have more to add to the bat rack. Yeah, but yeah, that, that Batman TMNT graphic novel, just just a fun time. Again, not nearly as goofy and over the top as the animated movie was. Like I bet my my daughter, she loves Batman versus TMNT the movie. Mm-hmm. I bet you if I showed her any excerpts from the graphic novel, she'd be like, "Nah, I don't want this." Yeah, and fair point to her for not wanting to see that. Probably, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, Craig, since we've gotten some of that out of the way, uh, I guess we yeah. should kind of get into the meat of what we're here to talk about today. And there is just a lot of, well, it's slow for news because Hollywood's still striking. And I say Hollywood mm-hmm. loosely because obviously the directors are not striking, the directors of Hollywood, but we have writers and actors striking right now. We just passed 100 days as far as the writers are concerned. So um, there's not a whole lot of movement on anything. Anything that is coming out now is more or less old, regurgitated news. There's a lot of people trying to guess who the fantastic forecast is, and I'm just like, nothing's happening because nobody's catching yeah, anything. So exactly. Why why are people throwing all these like rumors out there? It's like, guys, who is making this decision right now? Nobody. <laughs> there's nothing to be done right now. Now look, if multiple <laughs> people are trying to say that Vanessa Kirby has locked in the role of Sue Storm before the strikes took effect. Cool. Let me see it from somebody official from yep. Marvel Studios or Matt Shackman, the director of Fantastic Four. Like, show me that, because I am sick to death of seeing the same internet clout-chasing dinguses just say the same thing over and over again because one of them said it. Like, I'm, I'm, yep. I'm fed up to death with this casting. I am fed up to death with the rumors of this movie. Um... It really doesn't shock me that a lot of the scoopers change their tactics. Like, you know, a lot of them were saying, oh, they're going to get cast. They're going to show the cast out at San Diego Comic-Con this year. And then it's like, oh, Marvel's not going to Comic-Con. Then they were like, oh, well, (laughs) no one's going to Comic-Con, number one. But number two, (laughs) once that news came out, then everyone was like, oh, uh, all the all the talks between all these actors broke down. And now we're we're looking at different people. I'm just like, you guys don't have a clue. Just stop. Just knock it off. And you know what? To even just drive this point home even further, the dingleberry who decided to throw this out, Mr. Oh, I've got a big scoop and I could, I shouldn't drop this, but I don't care anyway. Mr. Jeff Snyder, the biggest hack scooper in Hollywood. Oh, I hate this clown. Anyway, this dude had the balls to be like, oh yeah, Jack Quaid's totally Johnny, Johnny Storm in Fantastic Four. During this stream that he's on with John Rocha, the Hot Mike Show, Jack Quaid straight up goes, yeah, no, I'm not playing Johnny Who's Johnny Storm. This is not right. And then dude pedaled back and went, oh, uh, well, it's the kid from uh, Stranger Things, the kid who played, I, I don't even know, the, the kid who did Master of Puppets in the latest season of Stranger Things. So Joseph Mason, I think, the actor's name? I don't remember. Anyway, I'm just like, okay, uh-huh. you literally in the same breath just backtrack, dude. Get out of my face. Like, I don't, <laughs> I, I have no desire to entertain your clownery but a couple other people are like oh no well this person so and so is running with this story i'm just like i don't give a shit i don't would you say you cannot sanction his buffoonery not at all absolutely not at all <laughs> look when, when it comes to information like this when you're when you're privy to information regarding any of these productions it would be in your best interest to just not say anything at all until the time is absolutely correct. But no, you you have your Jeff Snyders, you have your Grace Randolphs, you have your Umberto Gonzalez's, you have all your dipshits who just want to just blurb this shit on the internet just so they can get their likes, just so they can get their clicks, just so they can get whatever they want for that fame, that quick, easy fame, even if it's at the cost of their own integrity. Now, 
it's got to be tough for them too in this kind of environment where you know nothing is really going on so they're like uh what am i going to talk about what what can i throw out there to get somebody to click on my videos and see that's the absolute worst of it because this is the time where they come up with the most bullshit yeah i mean because literally you can just throw anything out you can just whatever right. you want and see what happens right exactly like months ago it was it was rumored that that margot robbie was a shoe-in for sue storm like she was locked and it's like I highly doubt that because she's in Barbie and she's Harley Quinn. And if I had to be a betting man, if James Gunn is going to carry over any characters from any of the films, she's probably, he's absolutely bringing Harley Quinn over 100%. If there are any characters that they're going to get any more longevity out of, as far as carrying over for a universe, wonder woman's a maybe Harley Quinn's a probably definitely. Yeah. Which, the Wonder Woman news that came out last week about that was just all sorts of, huh? Yeah, there's been a lot of those moments where I just kind of, I see a, a story and I just go, wait, what? I mean, as, as far back as, and I, we've talked about it several times, the whole, yeah, Blue Beetle is a DCU movie, but he's not the first, it's not the first DCU movie. He's the first DCU character. Mm-hmm. And the first DCU movie is going to be Superman. I'm like, that doesn't make any goddamn sense. No, nope. what are you talking about? Speaking of which, Blue Beetle's actually got a higher projection than initially projected for its opening weekend. It's now up to thirty oh, million dollars. Oh, what do you know? Oh, hmm. And that's just what do you know? Early ticket sales too. That's just based off that good word of mouth and people who have seen it. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't gotten my ticket yet, even though I probably should. But yeah, yeah it it is it is looking better for Blue Beetle the more the closer it gets to release. The only unfortunate thing about that is the cast can't promote it. Yep, that's they can't. The, the, yeah, yeah, that's the thing that bug bums me out the most because you you just know that Jolomar Duane, the 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 lead, right? Like he, he you know, like this being a big deal for him, for the community, for you know, like the character of Blue Beetle, and it's just like and. Disney and Warner Brothers and Universal are just like, no, we're not going to pay our writers and actors. No, we're just going to hold out. It's just like, seriously? (sighs) It's so frustrating. It's so, so frustrating. Yeah, I I really giggled last week when we found out that, like, the projections were saying that, like, Blue Beetle was going to make, what, like, 12, 13 million? Somewhere between... Strays was... They were anticipating Strays to make 30 million. I'm like, are are you... You gotta be high. Well, now it's lower. The Strays opening is now in the teens, and I was like, "Yeah, that's a little more accurate." Yeah, if Come it, on now. if it, if it, if it scrapes thirty million, if it scrapes ten million, I'll be shocked. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I have to say about that. If if you're showing an R-rated movie about stray dogs with a couple of big, slightly big name voice actors, well, guess what? There was a movie that came out last summer called Super Pets that had a bunch of big-name voice actors attached to it. It was mm-hmm. about dogs. It was about super heroic animals. And guess what? People didn't show up to that movie. Nope. Want to know why? Because movies about animals don't really entertain people that much anymore. Except no. Pet Cemetery. But then again, that was a special <laughs> case because that's a yeah. horror movie, you know? Like, yeah. I- I'm not trying to be a dick, but look, movies about animals... They don't hit as well as they used to. Yeah, unless your animal is a kaiju, then no one's really okay. interested. Fair, <laughs> right? I mean, look at look at look at Godzilla minus one. That movie's got a lot of hype based off one teaser. Yeah, uh, 
as as a lifelong Godzilla fan, I cannot wait for that. I'm still waiting for the day they make Batman vs. Godzilla. Dude, it's it's gonna happen at some I mean, we're getting uh what is it? Godzilla well, cross Kong cross Justice League. So it's got it's so we're kinda it's, sorta getting Batman versus Godzilla. It's the Justice League versus Kong versus Godzilla or something like that. Either way, the crazy ass title that rivals the Justice League versus the Suicide Squad versus the Justice Society of America. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just as goofy as that. Anyway, no, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Like that is the closest we're probably going to get for the time being to seeing Batman fight Godzilla. Is that comic book? And yes, I will be picking it up as soon as I can in trade form. I'm not doing single issues anymore. I'd rather pick up trade. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I think I discussed that uh, in one of our earliest episodes. Like for me, I read comics a lot. You know, as a kid. Uh, a little bit in my teens and then it just kind of fell off so in the last like year or so since kind of basically rebooting my life and kind of starting fresh and starting again i've started getting back into the things that i used to really enjoy and one of the things i enjoyed was reading comics but there's just there's so much out there man it's just it's very similar like i'm a i'm a big metal fan and the amount of bands that are out there, it's hard to follow them all. So it's just like, for me, I'm kind of in the same boat. When it comes to a story in a comic form, I'm going to wait for trade. I'm going to wait for a graphic novel. I think if I wanted to be as close to up-to-date as possible, I would start a DC Universe account, or DC Universe Infinite, sorry, and read single issues, you know, months after they'd release After the Fact Online. But even then, yeah. I would only be doing it on my long screen that I have up here because I don't have a tablet. Mm-hmm. I don't, and I don't want to read comics on my phone because that's just a waste of time, if you ask me. But no, I, I'd rather just like sit down, look at a screen or look at a book and read. Yeah, I haven't done that in a while, but that's 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 kind of the the idea of of the bat rack. We're going to keep adding books to it. So um, just for editorial purposes, I'm just going to go ahead and throw in Damien. Son of Batman, as well as TMNT. Is it is Batman vs. TMNT? Is that what it's called? Yep, Batman yeah. vs. TMNT. That's right, that's right. Like, I'm looking at this, like, I'm looking at the article, I'm looking at this uh, Entertainment Weekly exclusive image of Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong. Mm-hmm. You've got a giant, basically, Pacific Rim-style Batman mech yep. charging at Godzilla. Yep. Uh, yes, please. Uh, thank you. Yes, you can have my money. Yeah. Yeah, you know who'd make a great director for such an animated flick on that? Who's that? Jay Oliva. Jay Oliva, yeah. Jay Oliva, I should say. Sorry, Miss Oliva, yep. Jay Oliva, whom, um, well, is going to be part of the larger part of our conversation going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, as, so, last week, uh, definitely, around, or actually a week ago today, there was a story dropped in regards to Jay Oliva talking about Ben Affleck's Batman movie. Mm. Now, I have the Variety article. Do you have a Variety article up, or is it from somewhere else? Uh, I have... uh, It's bounding into comics, but I believe it's pulled from Variety. Okay, so I have the Variety story, and it is from Zach Scharf. Title reads, Ben Affleck's ex-Batman movie was effing awesome and built on 80 years of mythos, says storyboard artist, it was the best. Uh, Jay Oliva, a storyboard artist who worked on several DC and Warner Brothers movies such as Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Wonder Woman, recently opened up to Inverse. Okay, so the initial 
interview was with Inverse, not Variety. Anyway, about Ben Affleck's Batman Scraps standalone Batman movie. Affleck debuted as Batman in Zack Snyder's Dawn of Justice, reprised the role in Justice League. He was developing his own Batman movie to direct and star in before deciding to exit the role. I can't really say too much other than that it was effing awesome. This is a quote from Jay Oliva. It was the best. It was amazing. From my understanding, there were a couple drafts of it. When I was brought on, I don't know whether it was the second draft or something, but it was what Jeff and Ben, Jeff Johns and Ben Affleck had shown me. I've worked on a lot of Batman things, and what was really cool about it was it was tying together a lot of really cool Batman storylines that had never been really explored. Olivia continued. Ben's story was going to cover something that had never been covered in comics, but was building off of storylines in Batman mythos over the last 80 years and approached it from a new kind of perspective. <sighs> okay. That's a lot to take in just that is, from that, that paragraph alone. Right. And I'm very trepidatious, trepidatious of this because on one hand, I know what kind of credibility Ben Affleck has as a screenwriter. I mean, you yeah. know, he, he won an Oscar for good will hunting, right? Like he, mm-hmm. he's directed phenomenal films such as Argo and the town, the town, especially like if you look at the town, yeah. Tell me Ben Affleck can't direct a Batman movie yeah, after watching absolutely. the town. Right. Yep. Like on one hand, everything about this just feels like, Oh, this would, this could have been a surefire intense piece of cinema. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other side of this writing equation, Jeff Johns. Yeah. That part. <laughs> I can't not talk about Jeff Johns and just not feel completely disappointed because mm-hmm. he was one of the first books, one of the first writers I ever read in terms of DC. Like his Titans run is great. His Green Lantern stuff is unfathomable. His just a, a lot of stuff he's done I've read and I grew up a fan of Jeff Johns. So when everything transpired when it, when all the news came out in regards to how he treated the cast and how he especially the, you know the conflict with Ray Fisher and not even just that the other conflicts in other areas of DC entertainment yeah. it's just one of those gut punches that you're just like okay I can no longer tolerate or support anything this guy does now taking that aside and looking at the live action projects he's worked on too compared to his comic book stuff and not even his recent comic book stuff because let me tell you something. The last Jeff Johns book I read was Three Jokers. That story was terrible. It was bad. It was not good in any way, shape, or form. It was started as a tease in his Justice League War storyline, Dark Side War storyline, and then it wound up being a standalone story, and it just didn't make any sense. It had a forced relationship with Jason and Barbara Gordon. I hated it. It was not a good story. Right. And there are a lot of hardcore Jeff Johns fans who are going, you're insane. It's one of the best things ever. And I'm like, no, it's not. And honestly, even after rereading Batman Earth 1, i got to be honest, I don't think Jeff Johns understands or knows how to write Batman at all. So that that part really scares me to know that like they had all this, you know, this the all these mythos tied together. But then I think this article also does a does a pretty solid job of leaving out the fact that Chris Terrio was also involved in the scripting phase of of this movie as well at 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 a certain point. So the fact that Ben Affleck and Chris Terrio worked on it gives me a lot more hope than obviously having Jeff Johns on it cuz after seeing Wonder Woman 1984, I can absolutely <laughs> test to the fact that no I would rather not see Jeff Johns do anything live action ever again specifically between Wonder Woman 1984 and the theatrical crap show that is Justice League 2017 
seriously, like if there if there is anyone to lay blame in regards to how the DC Extended Universe folded out, yeah. it's at Jeff John's feet. If anyone wishes yeah. to argue with me about that, argue with a the wall. There's The evidence <laughs> is all over everywhere. Like, I am not going to regurgitate anything regarding that, that whole situation because it, all it is is a Google search away. It doesn't take a genius to figure out just how much of a shitbag Jeff John's is. Yeah, that... <laughs> I can't help it. Anytime somebody mentions that original justice league it just i didn't see that one in theaters so lucky you i back back, back then back then so i i didn't really go to the movies too often back then uh so when it came out on (laughs) blu-ray i went and bought it on blu-ray because i was like okay let's let's see what this is like i cannot describe to you just the the numbness i felt as those credits rolled just looking at that and just going what did I just witness? There's only one what thing. What was that? There's only one thing in that movie that genuinely like gets me in a, in a feely kind of way, and that's that's the post credit sequence with, De- with Deathstroke. Yeah. Even Deathstroke, though, if, yep. even though, even though it's a it's a it's a rework scene, even though the dialogue's different from the Snyder cut, I mm. still I, that was the only thing I gave a shit about the two times I saw it in the theaters. Because I think was, really besides the besides that post credit, the only scene that I generally went oh that's pretty cool was gordon uh gordon and batman interacting oh okay. even though it was a complete rush of a mess of plot exposition well you know at least it at least you didn't say the opening sequence of batman the gargoyle the goon because that I, I am so sick to death of seeing batman fans try and pull this up as like oh see it's it's a good display of batman i'm just like no it's not Mm-mm. It's Mm-mm. lazy, it's Mm-mm. dumb, it's not well lit, he looks like trash, and the, yep. the goon hopping with the rope around him, it's just stupid. <laughs> like, there, there, there is nothing redeeming about that movie whatsoever except the Deathstroke Lex Luthor thing. That's that's yep. it. Other than that, that movie... Right, yep. That's what Justice League does to people. For sure. But people with taste. Ooh, I said it. I mean, look, the only people defending Justice League are doing it out of spite. Absolutely. Like, I I shit you not. The only people you will see defend Justice League are only doing it purely out of spite. And it's, it's actually kind of sad because these same people are probably well aware of everything that transpired behind the scenes and they still don't care. They will just defend it because it's a knock at Zack Snyder. So here's another thing, looking at the, so I pulled up the Variety article, and man, just the more you read about it, so like, they talked to uh, the cinematographer, Robert Richardson, Yep. and he says, well, Affleck's, uh, quote unquote, Affleck's was going more into the insanity aspects, so I think you would have seen something a little darker than what we've seen in the past, and more into the individual who was inside Batman, what element may be sane, and what element may actually not be sane. That just sounds. I'm. I would be all for that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty insane. At you know, even the more you hear about this, the more I'm just like, okay, I really need to read the script. Yeah. I I I need to see just how this movie would have shaken out because obviously, if Deathstroke was the villain, there is there's some kind of alteration or. Maybe there was going to include 
a Riddler because obviously the Riddler was part of that in, that that you know Injustice League, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, how exactly do those characters fit into this? And you know, at the mention of Arkham, it's like okay, yeah, I can see that working, but I'm I'm just very very curious at to, at to just what this film was supposed to be because Matt Reeves has also said it was very action heavy at the same time mm-hmm. and populated with a lot of other DC characters and I'm like oh well, which characters exactly because I'm very curious about that or this uh, at the same time was the script Matt Reeves read a different script than what Jay Oliva is talking about because yeah, Jay, Oliva, me- Jay yeah. Oliva mentions that there's a couple different drafts drafts yeah 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 so and i mean I just the fact that it was going to be action heavy and the fact that batman v superman dawn of justice gave us quite possibly the best batman action scene i've ever seen still yet a to whole be talked, movie yeah. with that yeah a whole movie with action scenes similar to that with affleck's batman hell yes honestly when i think about ben affleck's batman movie i am of the mind that had he made it, he wasn't going to direct it. I think best case scenario, if he were to still do the project, it would have been him in the suit, but it would have been someone else behind the camera. Like, I, I, I truly believe that he would have gotten like Gavin O'Connor or, you know, another frequent collaborator of his to, to do the directing. Yeah. I mean, because that's a lot to take on. I mean, right, right. You know, trying to direct while in a Batman costume as cool as the idea may sound <laughs> yeah it just reasonably Africa in the bat suit and giving giving notes pointing people in certain directions right it just doesn't behind seem, the camera it, it just doesn't seem very reasonable right but yeah. i could i could see him ha- almost like a, a a dwayne johnson john michael sarah situation like having yeah having that kind of level of respectability and and someone you trust behind the camera to help you shepherd this project along yeah but you know we'll never know it's just another example like i was saying before we started recording just just untapped potential man between this and man uh, still it's one of my favorite episodes of our podcast when we went through those storyboards you know these these stories that we were not able to see it's just it's really disappointing right because there was a lot of really big untapped potential across the board with a lot of these characters and specifically Batman. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of elements that have been, you know, talked about here and there. Like, you know, at one point, at some point, Batgirl was supposed to be in this movie too. And he Mm -hmm. was, she was going to help him fight Deathstroke at the end. Like, you know, the, the whole third act or something like that was supposed to be like this big brawl across Gotham city, which I could totally Mm -hmm. see happening. Cause you know, like, I I mean, even there's even a, 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 a storyboarded video that I believe all of it did that's made the rounds on the internet of what that fight would have looked like of Batman versus Deathstroke. And it's really, yeah. And it, it, it slaps hard, dude. Like if you, if you mm. look at the storyboard, if you watch it and you picture like Ben Affleck's Batman versus Manganiello's Deathstroke, and you could even picture, you know, Zack Snyder's action unit his his first unit, like with Damon Carroll, you could even, you could picture like Richard Citrone, doing all of this and it's like yep this would have been great this would have been fantastic this would have been beautiful and I think I I think about it to this day like Warner Brothers did not need to reshoot anything if they wanted a two and a half hour cut of this movie they had it 
they did, they had absolutely zero to to truly like. I, I mean, look, you could make the argument that you could trim out a lot of the stuff in the in the Snyder cut to you know cut it down for theatrical runtime. There's an argument to be made about certain elements of this film that you could trim easily. Sure, I will not question yeah, sure. that. Yeah. But but at the same time, like. It just amazes me that Warner Brothers got in the way, got in their own way every single step of the way of this because they did not treat any of these projects. Maybe Man of Steel. Man of Steel is probably the only one they marketed, had confidence in, and were like, all right, cool, we got this. And yet, nerds online bitched, moaned, and groaned that Superman snaps Odd's neck. And he didn't save every citizen that he possibly could. Sure, or you know he didn't smile enough. We we've heard the criticisms. We've seen uh, it, all, right? Like 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 it, 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 it was it was just it was just it, it, insane. So when it came to Batman v Superman, you know Warner's was like, oh well, we want to maximize the amount of time seen in theaters, so they shave thirty minutes off that film. Well, you shave thirty minutes out of that film, you cut down a lot of important key elements of the plot, and then the mm-hmm. movie suffers from it. And then yep. in home release sales, you get. Buku numbers, and then yeah. pe- people say the ultimate cuts a much better version of this movie. Why didn't you just screen this the first time? Not only that, you 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 guys earned that. They at least in my opinion, I think they did because at this point they had done five Superman movies, eight Batman movies. Why not just do a three-hour movie with both of them in it? For real, like, <laughs> yeah, at, th- at that rate. And look, I'm, I already know. I can already hear people being like, no, you need another Man of Steel sequel. No, you needed Batman reintroduced again. I'm just like, no, f*** that. Just... You don't have to follow. Just because it worked for the MCU doesn't mean you have to follow what they're doing. Right, 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 right. I, these, yeah. are, these are well-established characters. Like, I don't need to see the origin stories again. I don't need to see the same conflicts they've gone through. Now here's the time sadder and part. Time again, give Here, us something new and here's, exciting. Here's the sadder part: they did exactly that with Spider-Man, and it worked out beautifully in their favor. Yeah. Love or hate those three movies, you cannot mm-hmm. deny they were successful. Yep. At all, like Tom Holland's Spider-Man is arguably the most successful of them at the box office. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and then and, and I'm right there with you. They I. I truly think that Batman v Superman was an absolutely warranted, worth it sequel, and I, I still to this day firmly believe it's in the same camp as Empire Strikes Back. Look, yep, that movie changed things in the same way the Dark Knight did. It showed you you do not need an MCU style springboard solo character every single time you want to do something new in your universe. Yeah, and ironically enough, now look at where we are where everyone is getting fatigued because they are tired of all of these MCU movies that are just, it just feels like they're churning them out to get okay. them out because the I've MCU been, needs to grow and grow and grow. I've been thinking about that. I don't remember who, but I want to say it might have been the Marvel Alliance podcast that I listened to, my boys Chris and, Chris and Brent. Might have been them, might have been someone else, but the problem with the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it stands right now is they are introducing too many new characters and yep, not bringing way that, too much. Not only that, not only are they introducing too many characters, they're introducing too many characters and not doing anything with them. Exactly. And when I yep. when I mean by that is is they are not we're not seeing as much cross pollination as we saw 
in the first three phases. And, and granted, you know, phase four was all about retinkering, retooling, and building out with other obscure characters. You could make the argument that the Tony Stark of phase four, five, and six just might be Loki's Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston's Loki. It really is starting to kind of feel that way. Because name one other character in the MCU that has that much of a following at this moment. Yep. You can't. The biggest nope. thing people are hyped for right now for the MCU, Loki season two, and it looks incredible. It looks just like season one did, and I think that's exactly what people want. And not only that, Tom Hiddleston has the charisma of a leading man. In the yep. same way Robert Downer Jr. did. And guess what? Tom Hiddleston was also the one who introduced us to our big bad of the overarching multiverse saga. He sure did. So it wouldn't shock me at all if he had a hand in the, being the one that ended it. And that's when we really get to say goodbye to Tom Hiddleston's Loki. Wouldn't shock mm -hmm. me. Wouldn't shock yep. me at all. Bookmark it here, folks. Episode 48. <laughs> but no, to your point, look at where we are at now. Look at what happened with The Flash. It bombed. Hard. Really hard. <laughs> like, that's the thing. That's the thing, too. Flash did not just do bad. It nope. did not just bomb. It tanked. Mm -hmm. This movie fell off and fell off quick. I think of the DC films, and I've said this before, I've even I probably said it on the last episode, I probably said it on the episode before that, the only film I think that has a genuine chance of success is Blue Beetle. Mm-hmm. As where we stand right now. Yep. Yes. Now look, I could be totally wrong. Aquaman could come out in December and do exactly what the first film did. Do I see that actually happening? No. I mean, they obviously don't have any faith in it, the fact that we have not seen even a teaser trailer at this point. And, you know, to even take that point further, if they don't have any faith in it, there's credence to that, because if the strikes continue, they've said they're keeping that movie at that date. Mm -hmm. And they would rather shift Dune, which comes out a month before it. So that tells yep. me, oh, if they can shift Dune but leave Aquaman where it is, they are not that confident in Aquaman. They're going to send it out to die basically and I mean if it's testing as poorly as it is that doesn't bode well at all now granted there have been a few different cases where a film has tested very very poorly in pre-test screenings but it comes out and it does buku dollars mm -hmm. there, there have been cases like that granted this film has also been tinkered with every single time it got a poor test screening it's been yeah. edited to death and they've had two different Batmans in it and I would imagine the budget for this film is probably in, in the same ballpark Justice League was. Yeah. I honestly... At everything that we are seeing, I think so. I think I'd have to agree with that. And it, it really bums me out to say that because I really love the first Aquaman movie. Like a yeah. lot. Like a lot, a lot. I mean, the third act is a little short. The battle's a little small, but... I mean, small in in terms of time. Like it, it it's it, you could have gotten a little more length out of that that big bombastic fight, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But yeah. overall, like I, I do like that film. Goofy shit aside, like I, I do like that movie. And yes, I'm aware Amber Heard's in it. Yeah, sue me. <laughs> I, I look. That's also a, another thing I think is going to be detrimental to the second film. Yeah, because I've I've had people even in the real world tell me, yeah, no, I'm not watching the first one, and I don't plan on seeing the second one because she's in it, mm. and that it, it's it sucks hearing that, because you know, not I understand the perspective, believe me, I do, but it's like 
for the film, it's like, no, I kind of want it to succeed. But at the same time, it's like, I respect your, your stance. Yeah. And like I've said, like, I'm always wanting to give a film the benefit of the doubt. I don't ever go into something and go like, I want this to tank. I want this to do poorly. I want this to do bad. Right. I mean, hell I'm, I think I've said this on the podcast before. My favorite movie of all time since childhood is the 1984 Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. 2016 Ghostbusters. I'm totally, eh, it was fine. Eh. I remember when the internet and the fanboys were losing their minds over that movie. Oh man. Just saying that that it was, that it was going to be like the worst film ever, absolute disgrace and all this stuff. And I was like, eh, it looks okay. And then same thing, went and saw it, came out and said, eh, it's fine. 2016 didn't impact did not impact my love of the franchise in any way did not you know thinking about 2016 that was by far one of the most ugliest toxic times for film oh criticism. for sure because yeah you had batman v superman getting railed by critics mm-hmm. and fans online ghostbusters got eaten alive by the you know get woke crowd or you know get woke go broke crowd that section of fandom the the early days of what that fandom has become right like the 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 early days of those those trashy neck beards yeah what else came out in 2016 that got so much heat like i know those two movies for sure did but it was a combination of like oh that but deadpool and captain america come out and everyone's praising the crap out of both of them yeah Doctor Strange, that was another one. People were, like, kind of divided on it. I, I never understood the hate for Doctor Strange. I loved it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I think it's up there. Honestly, it's one of my favorite MCU movies of all time. That and the sequel. Well, because for me, like, Doctor Strange delivered what I had been wanting for so long. Yes, I was intrigued by, you know, the Thanos stuff and, you know, the greater overarching storyline. But I was waiting back then. I wanted Marvel to get cosmic. I wanted them to start going into those other worlds and mm-hmm. really delving into that. Mm-hmm. And that's what Doctor Strange gave me. And I was so happy for it. And yeah, Multiverse of Madness, my personal favorite MCU movie, just because I love Sam Raimi. I love, yeah. I grew up with the Evil Dead franchise. And this is the closest I'm ever going to get to the guy who did, I mean, he, the guy from Evil Dead got to do a Marvel movie. Uh, Hell yes. I he had got to do four. Time. He got to yeah, do yeah, yeah, yeah. Four, to four Marvel yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, MC, I, F, MCU movie. He got to sure. do an MCU movie. Sure. <laughs> but like, of, of the MCU movies that he, if he had his choice at, I'm glad it was Doctor Strange because that was the only other Absolutely. hero he had interest in. Between yep. Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, he always said those two. So him getting the sequel felt really nice after losing Scott Derrickson. No, I remember when the when I heard that Sam Raimi was going to be doing the next Doctor Strange. I'm like, okay. And then when I heard that the title of the movie was Multiverse of Madness, I'm like, oh, yes, please. Yes, please. I'm actually really shocked at the fact that Sam Raimi directed that movie, Multiverse of Madness, and yet they had Toby Spider-Man in the movie before it, and they did not at all find a point right? for him in Multiverse of Madness. I'm shocked that yep. that did not happen. Yep. Like, at the very least, do you think he could have been, like, a member of the Illuminati? That would have been kind of nice. But... I think that would have been an, a neat twist. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't think Sony would have played ball like that. No. Not back then. No. Or actually, not at this point. Yeah. 
No, because if they were going to use Spider-Man in another project that wasn't a Spider-Man movie, it's definitely going to be an Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. If they, if not Avengers, maybe Daredevil. But to yeah. to bring it back to to the fatigue factor, as a matter of fact, you know, that's another conversation that people have been having is their fatigue of superheroes. And I, I think, personally, I'm just going to echo what, what Lord Miller said when they were doing press for Across the Spider-Verse. No, people are sick and tired of seeing the same superhero movies. Yeah. That's what I think. And that's and that's exactly what we've been getting. And that's what is so frustrating. And again, my whole point of untapped potential, these DC movies were giving us something different. And it sounds and like... I was so appreciative of that. It sounds like Blue Beetle followed that even though there might be hints of superhero origin that we've seen before. Sure, that's not a surprise, but when it comes to doing a new hero, yeah, you're kind of obligated to do the origin movie. Especially for someone like Blue Beetle. Right. Like, for DC fans, yes, we hear Blue Beetle, we already know who that is. Your average everyday moviegoer, they're not going to know what the hell Blue Beetle is. Well, actually, depending on the DC fan, they're going to ask you which one. Yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. they're, they're going to say uh, Dan Garrett, Ted Kord, or Jaime Reyes. Mm-hmm. Me, personally, I'd probably just shout Jaime from the go. He was the first one I, I distinctly remember. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, yeah. Yeah, you know, it uh, Blue Be- the first Blue Beetle I remember being familiar with is, is Jaime from Young Justice. And you, and you know what? I knew who Booster Gold was because of Justice League Unlimited, but he was never around with a Blue Beetle. I don't think they ever did Blue Beetle in Justice League or Justice League Unlimited. I could be wrong, but as far as I remember, I don't think they ever did him. Well, and they even carried, isn't, I? if I'm remembering this, it's been a couple of years since I played the game, but uh, if I remember right, Jaime is the Blue Beetle in, in Justice. Yes. In Justice 2. Correct. Yes, he is. He's there. He's got a playing part in the some of the Teen Titans animated movies that were part of the new 52 animated universe mm-hmm. uh, like uh, Judas Contract and Justice League vs. Teen Titans I know he's definitely there and he was definitely a big part of Injustice from season 2 going forward and yeah to your point he was in Injustice he was also in Smallville if I remember correctly I mean it looked oh I didn't good. know that I I was never really a fan of Smallville growing up I, I just never could get into it I did a deep dive on it long long time ago it's on hulu now haven't felt the need to revisit it but yeah there was a blue beetle on that show very uh beetleborg ish in terms of the look like if you google Mm. like blue beetle smallville you'll be like yep looks like a beetleborg (laughs) swear to god yep swear to god looks like a beetleborg oh yeah that's yeah (laughs) i just looked it up yep oh boy looks like a beetleborg (laughs) Straight up, looks like a beetleborg. Not gonna lie, but to kind of also talk about the state of DC as it is right now. To bring it back to the Flash and why I mentioned the fact that it bombed. Mm-hmm. They here's another thing. The funny thing that I I'd sent this to Craig and Terrence, and it kind of it's it's kind of old news. But there were certain yeah. elements of this that, that were not brought to light until J. Alva spoke them into existence. And this is from Inverse, and this is in regards to... A, I'm just going to read the title. Yeah. Zack Snyder's secret plan for a Flash trilogy and surprise supervillain revealed. <laughs> right? 
The DC Extended Universe is full of missed opportunities. Well, that's an understatement. Yeah. Some quote of the year. Some like Zack Snyder's original vision for 2017's Justice League were eventually realized, but most will remain unfulfilled as the DCU reboots itself into the DCU under the guidance of James Gunn. However, none of these missed opportunities is quite as disappointing as the fate of The Flash, which finally arrived after years of delays only to flop hard with fans and critics alike. Hmm. Yeah. Didn't have to be that way. Perhaps no one knows better than Jay Oliva, a storyboard artist on several DCU movies who also directed the acclaimed DC animated film Flashpoint Paradox. Quote, When we were doing Zack Snyder's Justice League, I was instrumental in talking to those guys about how Flash was going to be and everything. Oliva tells Inverse. In a conversation timed to the 10th anniversary of Flashpoint Paradox, Oliva reveals the studio's original plan for an entire Flash trilogy leading up to a Flashpoint crossover along with the surprise Flash villain who had been pulling the strings all along across the entire DCEU. After directing Flashpoint Paradox, Oliva worked as a storyboard artist for the first four seasons of the CW's The Flash, crafting most of the show's action scenes. So when Warner Brothers decided to make a live-action Flash film, Oliva was involved right from the start. Quote, I worked with Seth Graham Smith, the first director who was attached to The Flash. Oliva says, I did a storyboard for him. I did that test. I don't think I ever saw it, but it got the green light for the movie. Then... Seth, when, Greth, when Graham Smith left the project in 2016 over creative differences, all of us stuck around, and Rick Famuyiwa came aboard as the new director. I worked with Rick for like six or seven months on that Flash movie, right up until Rick left in October of 2017. The cast was in London. They were building sets. When Rick left, I switched gears and did the reshoots for the ending of Wonder Woman. Now, mind you, this is 2016-2017, so yep. that means Jeff Johns was president of DC Films at the time. So when it comes to creative differences, reshoots for the ending of Wonder Woman, his feet. Yep, yep. So here's where things get really interesting. While little is known about Famuyiwa's canceled Flash movie, the cast at times include, at the time, included Ray Fisher, Cyborg, and Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman. One thing is clear, it was nothing like the movie released in 2023. Rick's movie wasn't the Flashpoint movie, all of us says, before detouring into a brief DCU history lesson. Originally, there were supposed to be just like Zack's five films and one side movie, which ended up being Suicide Squad. After the success of Man of Steel, Warner's decided to go all in on its cinematic universe. Rick's movie was going to be a series of films, just like Aquaman. I think all of those films were planning to be trilogies. They were planning to be trilogies. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. They were planning on basically kind of doing kind of what George Miller was trying to do with Justice League Mortal, but they already had a bit more of a foundation given they had Man of Steel, BVS, and Suicide Squad as well as Wonder Woman. Anyway, uh, the Flash movie would have been particularly important to the DCEU. However, because of a plan introduce because of a plan to introduce a classic DC villain, Eobard Thawne, a.k.a. Professor Zoom or the Reverse Flash. Rick's movie was laying the groundwork for Zoom as the big baddie of the DC Universe. It was Professor Zoom pulling the strings because he had come to the future to basically mess with you know, F word, F with Barry. Mm -hmm. In the Flash movie, Zoom would be the villain in the background, but also as the ancillary other films, you would see some of the influences of Zoom. You would see some of the influences of Zoom on the rest of the Justice League. This is all would have come to a head in a Flashpoint movie, which Zack Snyder revealed previously in a 2019 fan screening, would have wrapped up his Superman focus saga, served as a reboot for the entire franchise. At the Jeez. ending of Zack's Dark Side quadrilogy or whatever, we would have ended up with a Justice League Unlimited version of the Snyderverse, Oliver says, referencing the popular 2000 cartoon featuring a sprawling roster of DC superheroes, and then you flip it, you do Flashpoint Paradox. Everybody yep. whose friends are now enemies, and it's a world you don't want to live in, you can reboot the universe and introduce a new cast that way, because after 10 years, the actors need to go on to something else. 
For Oliver, the planned Flashpoint movie was also a chance to bring his original animated film to life, complete with its epic world-destroying conflict between the Amazons and the Atlanteans. In both the comic and cartoon, the story hinges on a fatal love triangle involving Aquaman and Wonder Woman. I wanted to really capture the grimness of the comic, but also lay the groundwork for adapting this as if it was a Marvel live-action film, he says, as of his 2013 animated film. I just thought that would have been fantastic. Can you imagine Jason Momoa fighting Gal Gadot and then having that love story? All of the missed opportunities. Oliver concludes with a hint of whimsy. Being a part of it was exciting, and then having to shift gears and pivot, it's kind of sad. I would have I loved to have seen it get to this point. Me too. For, yeah. Me too. <laughs> Me too, Jay. Unbelievable. Me too. Me too. Just this whole, it's almost like, call me crazy, it's almost like they had a grand epic plan from the beginning. Oh, that sounds about right. It's almost like if we had just let it play out, if these executives didn't get cold feet, we could have seen all of this come to light. You know what the saddest part about all of this is? What's that? Jeff Johns wrote Flashpoint. Yeah. <laughs> That's the most ironic thing about this whole situation. And it's just and it's just like this dude is the stickler for wanting things to be like the freaking comic. And he would have had this Flashpoint movie as 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 accurate as it possibly could have been for the most part. And yet he inadvertently decides to pull a legitimate eobard thon and screw things up from justice league going forward it it baffles me it absolutely baffles me that this dude's ego destroyed such a great plan yep i'm i'm really just... really makes you wonder when he went to go see the flash and what that movie became. You gotta I, wonder if he's honestly, in his head, he's like, Oh boy. Honestly, number maybe one maybe I shouldn't have this. But no, it's it's number one, I don't really care what he has to think about the Flash film just because I think he's kind of a trash human. But number two, I think they deliberately altered that story so much so that they could not or did not want to have his name on the writing credits. Yeah. And it's it's I think about this situation all the damn time, but not all mm-hmm. the damn time because that's that's obsessive. But I, I <laughs> it, it just it blows me away that they had everything they could have needed, and yet because of ego and greed, they decided to just mess everything up. It mm-hmm. it, it it doesn't shock me, but at the same time, I'm like you know what y'all better let James Gunn do his thing. Yeah. And I say that as someone who is not at all hyped for Superman Legacy. Yeah. I mean, I am still just... I'm always... Again, I'm always a wait-and-see person. I've got to see a trailer or something like that. You know, let me see kind of what your idea is. Am I fully on board with the James Gunn idea? Eh, Not really. But I'm willing to at least see what direction they take. And, yeah, just like you said, they better just let the man do what he needs to do. Now, granted, all the people who had a hand in in dismantling that original plan are no longer in the same position of power. Yeah. That much is abundantly clear. Now, the thing that really 
chaps my ass about that that I did not know was just how far into production Famuyiwa's version of the Flash was. They were building sets. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. <laughs> production was well underway. Yep. And what's even worse is knowing what we know about the Injustice League, the villain was probably going to be Captain Cold. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? That's great. That's a great vert first villain for the Flash, especially yep. in a first solo film. Because then in a sequel, you can do the rogues. And then the third film, what's the third film? Oh, right, Flashpoint. Mm-hmm. And you reset everything. Holy shit, what a concept. Yep. It... it, it Jeff Johns, dude, he, he, he is the reverse Flash. <laughs> he, he, he screwed yep. everything up for Ego. And it, yep. it, it's, it's just a shame. It's an absolute shame. Absolute shame. Yeah. He lived long enough to become the villain. He did. He absolutely <laughs> did. What a shame. Anyway, uh, that dude, that, that dude. I would have loved to have seen an Eobard Thon be like, yeah, I did that. You, the reason your Batman's dead? Yeah, that's my thing. Oh, the reason Batman and Lois Lane happened? Yeah, that's my idea. I did that, mm-hmm. Barry. It was me, Barry. Like, I, I want to see a reverse Flash Flash face-off. Like, I, I, look, did I get that in the CW show? Absolutely. It was great. Tom Cavanaugh, Greg Gustin, they did a great job. I need to see it in a movie now. Mm-hmm. And I want to see Eobard Thawne and his ridiculous-ass yellow suit with the single, like, not lightning bolt ears, the, the single, like, lines that he's got. I want to see his ridiculous-ass reverse Flash suit. That's what I want to see. <laughs> like, from that picture that they have in the article. I want to see that reverse yeah. Flash. <laughs> but something tells me we're not going to see the Flash for a while in, in Guns yeah. DCU. Speaking of Guns DCU, um, well, Gal Gadot says she's going to be Wonder Woman. They're developing a third movie with James Gunn and Peter Safran. Uh, Charles Roven was recently... There's a really sweet, sweet report from Hollywood Reporter regarding Charles Roven and Christopher Nolan's uh, relationship, working relationship. And there is a nice little blurb here towards the tail end of it that I was talking to Craig about and uh, this is the one that really kind of caught my eye and made me raise an eyebrow so uh, again I, I highly recommend anyone who, who knows Charles Roven you know producer on Man of Steel the Dark Knight franchise like very well renowned really awesome producer really nice guy not that I've met him or anything but he just seems very well put together in, in the way he conducts himself in interviews and the way you see him talk about movies basically to me Charles Roven is the guy that John Peters thinks he is yeah, he's had, he's dipped his hands in a couple couple things. Right, right. Anyway, there it's this great great piece interview with Hollywood Reporter. He talks about his relationship with Christopher Nolan, a couple other movies. But uh, there's one blurb in here that that involves a question about James Gunn and the DC and DC. It says you worked with James Gunn and Peter Safran on the Suicide Squad before they became the new heads of DC. How involved do you expect to be with their new regime? And this is what Charles Roven had to say. Oh boy. Right now, they're really rebooting everything, and it's a little bit unclear to me exactly how finite their desire is to use or not use any DCEU actors in the same role. So I'm really not sure, but at the moment, we're not really having any discussions. James and I are good friends. My wife and I are very good friends with him and his wife, Jennifer Holland. And so, we see each other socially, but we're not really talking about any business. (laughs) That's how you feel? Yeah? Tell Tell me how you really feel. Yeah, well, 
this isn't a uh, not safe for work episode, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you were saying prior to us starting recording, this just makes it very clear that he's just like they're not having him involved whatsoever. Yeah, I I think this is very much a a. a... I don't want to speak on behalf of people I don't know, so I'll I'll put it this yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. It just to me this this reads like James Gunn and Charles Roven are in two very separate places in terms of working together, and they're just yep. it just doesn't seem like it's happening. Uh, it's it's also been reported that Roven was working on a second a Man of Steel follow up with Henry Cavill before Gunn became head of DC Studios, which oh. would have made a lot of other people happy, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But. To me, this this just feels like um, either James Gunn did not consult Charles Roven or had no interest in consulting Charles Roven, or Charles Roven simply just didn't it has no interest in working on on these sets of films after doing them yeah. for so long. It whichever way, whatever way it happened, I don't know. But to me, it just it bottom line is they they are not working together on any DC projects together. Yeah, just just the way that it's worded there that like, oh, we have a very great like personal relationship, but we don't talk business when we're hanging out. Right. That's just like, oh, oh boy. Which when it comes to James Gunn being friendly with people like Zack Snyder, with people like Charles Roven, and then you factor in all of the disgusting shit he said on Twitter and some of the other things that have been circulating online mm-hmm. about him and like certain personal aspects of his life that are questionable it's 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 just superbly murky because yeah there were some tweets that he made like a decade ago like 10 years ago Mm -hmm. at the time you know 40 something year old man saying some grotesque shit that he said i i don't want to repeat any of it because obviously again this is not not a not for safe work episode but, I mean, it got him. It got him booted out of Disney there for a right. bit. Right, and then who 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 swooped him up? Yeah, <laughs> who at what studio swooped him up? <laughs> Toby Emerson WB. So what does that say? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Look, I'm not at all saying that any of that's it. And it, and he's come out and he's apologized and he's made amends for it. Great. I'm not saying that's a problem for me. I'm saying that that is a public stain that people will continue to use against him. Mm-hmm. It, it is it is it is a watermark on his career that he will never be able to escape. Yep. And I I I think that is going to make his turn as head of DC Studios, coupled with his own creative decisions that he's making as we speak, just all the more difficult for fans to swallow, if not outright reject. Yeah. So, I don't know. It, it it's, I think the time of when we wanted something very close to what we would probably consider pitch perfect superhero comic mm-hmm. films, whatever, is that time past us? Very well, maybe. But I don't know. That that's just it. Like what 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 is ga- what is Gun gonna do? That's gonna be different outside of mm-hmm. setting up a Superman film that has a guy gardener, a hot girl and uh Mr. Terrific in it. Like, and you know, there's, there's also, a, I saw something that the, either the Superman official X account or it might've been the Facebook account. They shared like 
primed reading you should read before Superman Legacy, and apparently some of the action comics featuring Brainiac were listed. So, oh really? People are speculating that Brainiac just might be the villain for Superman Legacy. Hmm. Which, to me, wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. To even just touch on that little bit, as it is right now, because number one, he's a Superman villain that has never been used in a film before outside of Superman 3 and even then it wasn't like a traditional version of Brainiac um, that abs- yeah that oh boy <laughs> yeah it's not great uh, number two <laughs> it is a villain that would absolutely quantify the, the need for other DC heroes in it because how do you tell a Superman story with Brainiac and not include a larger DC universe yeah okay um, and again number three it's a grotesque character that functions in some weird quirky way that you could absolutely see James Gunn adapting just like he did the high evolutionary. Yep. Now granted, I still think the villain could be someone like parasite. It's Oh man. Who else did I have in my mind? Um, but personally, I'd love to see Metallo. You could do like a Terminator style Metallo. And I think that'd be pretty badass. Mm-hmm. but there was another villain I had in mind too. And I, it's a, it, it, it escapes me. Um, so I, I said parasite. It's pit. Oh, here we go. Mongol. 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 Yeah. yeah. War world. Mongol. Just not war world inspired by Justice League. War world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know if you've watched that yet, but oof. I haven't yet. I I might be checking it out this weekend. I'm not sure yet. Batman stuff in it is the best. Uh, if you guys want to listen to me talk more about that, listen to the Animation Nation podcast. Me and my friend Travis talk about that on his show. Anyway, no, that. It, yeah, Mongol, Parasite, Brainiac, or Mitz Pitlick. Those are villains I could see James Gunn using. But if if Brainiac is the villain in Superman Legacy, okay, I'm not going to lie. That would increase my peaked interest. Mm-hmm. I don't know by how much, but your Brainiac is one of my favorite Superman villains, so you use him in a movie, I'm at least going to watch he, it. He's also one of the few, like, the thing, one of the things with Superman is, you know, you say Batman, everyone immediately starts thinking of his rogues gallery. Right. Superman throughout the years just hasn't really had that. Yes, he does have a few, Zod, that kind of stuff. But nowhere near, I mean, the rogues gallery of Superman, it's tough for like an average, again, you, we've got to remember while these are comic book movies and these are intended for fans of comic books, the comic book movie is now for the majority. So that's a fair point. You've got to appeal to all of those that are going to want to go out there and see it. And if you throw these random comic book villains, yes, you might get some interest, but it's, I, I just feel like with the first new Superman story, you're going to want to try to find a villain that is somewhat recognizable. Yep beyond just you know your comic book fans right yeah and i think brainiac is probably the most general you could get because he's been in other versions i think so you know so i don't know and i also think that that could serve as a a springboard for how you include batman to some extent or another because obviously we know that you know despite the flash bombing at the box office musietti is still at, at this point anyway attached to do batman brave and the bold and i hope he stays because I want to see his interpretation of Batman. And you know what? All the 
things about the Flash aside at bombing, it, it's not a bad... Allegedly, he's working on a director's cut. Allegedly. Mm. I don't mm. know if that is the case, but if he is, dear God, I hope he changes the ending. I really hope I so. I hope so. I, I hope <laughs> I he really that hope ending. So. I hope... I just hope it's it, the ending does not include George Clooney if he does a director's cut. I would just love because you know what at this point let him. Who cares the movie yeah, yeah, the movie yeah. bombed. Let him do yeah. a director's cut. And yeah, if you don't let real. him if you don't let him do a director's cut, you guys are no better than the way you treated David Ayer and Zack Snyder. Yeah. And at this point, what's it going to matter? The continuity doesn't. Yeah, exactly. James Gunn's made that clear. So. I, I don't know. If he does a director's cut of that movie, I'd be more intrigued to, to rewatch it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, like if, if there is a director's cut of The Flash released in physical form, I will watch it. But as far as I can tell, at least on the digital sales, it's just got a bunch of deleted scenes. If he's working on a director's cut, I'd, I'd be shocked, no pun intended. But allegedly he is, so I don't know. Speaking of director's cuts, uh, David Ayer did spark some speculation that his cut could come. And the, I, yeah, I have been. It does seem like there is more and more. There's more articles and stuff going out there that seem to th- say that we may finally be getting the air cut. So he, let me just pull up what he tweeted because there was a lot of images and you know on August fifth there was a, a planned, um, organ. I guess I should say organized vet venture to. You know, again, push for release the air cut. And, oh, excuse me, I've just got a lot of gas. I probably should not have drinking so much <laughs> soda, a lot of carbonated soda. Anyway, um, I'm trying to find the tweet. But there was a lot of... The, the, the post, sir. Th- there, were a lot, there were a lot of posts, a lot of pictures, a lot of stuff <laughs> that, that, from his, that were from his cut of the movie. And yeah. a lot of people really want to see this film... Mm-hmm. And based on what he said, God damn it, I am just scrolling through this shit. Where is it? Oh my God, I cannot find it. Oh, here we go. Okay. So this was actually posted on August 6th. So someone tweeted, said the Nerd Rage podcast tweet, replying to One Take News and David Air Movies. Not to call out David by saying this, but do you know this was released back in 2016, right? David quote tweeted this and says, What's your advice on how to navigate the situation with grace? There's a genuine curiosity and interest from a lot of people, and I'm aware there's another group of people that have fun mocking the film. Your comment is a perfect example of how many are magnetically drawn to discussion to the 2016 film in a negative way. Have you ever heard or ever had an experience in life that didn't until that didn't until the way you wanted that dragged you that made you rethink everything? I have. All I know is my unseen film plays much better than the studio release. The interest in my cut being shown seems real and organic, and Gunn told me it would have its time to be shared. He absolutely deserves to launch his DC Universe without more drama about old projects. In a way, I'm chained to this thing. I'm riding a tiger here and navigating the situation the best I can. Life is a very strange journey. Welcome to my TED Talk. Hmm. That was from David Ayer on August 6th, one day after the release of the Ayer Cut hashtag trend event happened. Hmm. So, um... To me, it sounds like it could come. That's, I mean, the wording, the phrasing of that is just a 
a big indicator. Right. And the question isn't necessarily if, it's, I guess, maybe when. more of when now? Maybe? Just yeah. maybe? Um, a lot of speculation is, is leaning towards a 10th anniversary, which, yeah, that's about three years away. That yeah. would suck, because we'd have to wait a little bit longer. But at the same time, I'd rather wait and get it than not get it at all. Yeah. Because... I, I'm really curious to see just how different of a portrayal Leto's Joker is as opposed to what was shown in theatrical cut. Yeah. I'm very curious to see like what was initially done before there were, there were some forced reshoots there to happen. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I'd be very, very curious to see what the air cut, how just how drastically different it is from the theatrical cut of Suicide Squad. I, I'd be very, very curious to see that and, and you know I've said this a couple different times I think the theatrical cut is like a bare bones skeleton of what he wanted to do oh yeah more for or less sure. and I think the big big difference um, from what I understand is is very it's it's almost like like Cyborg and Justice League there's a very big difference in terms of character but instead of Cyborg it's El Diablo with El Diablo mm -hmm. from what I understand the character does not die at the end of the movie in Ayer's oh. cut he, he actually survives. So there's there's mm. a bit of a difference there. Um, and there's a lot more Joker Harley. There's a lot more Joker being, like, you know, traditionally shitty to Harley, too. So I, yeah. I'd be, very again, very, very curious to see that. Apparently there's more Batman in it as well. I mean, I'm never going to complain about that. And who would, right? If you're a Batman fan, who yeah. would? Well, to be fair, I actually know a few. <laughs> well, not... No, personally, I know of a few yeah, yeah. whose names shall not be named, right? Like just yeah. But any yeah yeah, it's 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 very much uh, on my radar. I'd watch it just like I'd watch the Schumacher cut. I'd buy them day yeah. one without question, without hesitation. I believe in artist integrity and creative freedom. So yeah, I I, I if if the air cut is to come, hopefully sooner rather than later. But time will tell. If if Warner Brothers is smart, they'll do it. They'll release it. Like, they already had enough of this headache with the Snyder Cut. And I even before that was released, I had been saying, they're going to do it. There's just yeah. no way you don't have a filmmaker like Zack Snyder and have him do all these director's cuts of his previous movies and then not do that to that movie. There was just no way they were not going to finish it at some point. And with this... This is even less. This would cost them less money to finish than the Snyder Cut. That much <laughs> yeah. is on very yeah. good authority. And honestly, Warner Brothers doesn't have a good reason not to release it anymore. Suicide Squad actually made them money, number one. Number two, they've released an extended cut, but even still, it's like, look, with all the shit you guys have already gotten over the Snyder Cut, you guys are holding out on this, and it's like, mm -hmm. this movie was more, almost more profitable of twenty of your twenty sixteen roundup, so without China too, why wouldn't you do a director's cut and get even more money off of it? <laughs> yeah. They are literally leaving money on the table with this thing. Well, that's something the WB likes to do, unfortunately. They, they, they leave it on the table or they burn it outright. Yep. And 
and, I don't and know. I mean, in a in a what if scenario, if let's say you know the AR kit comes out and people see it and they go, "Man, this was a much better, well put together film." By that point, you've got the Snyder cut, you've got the AR cut. You know, so, uh, again, we probably won't ever get it, but the the Schumacher cut, maybe it would finally give the executives at WB the idea that hmm maybe we should let the directors do what they need to do for their projects. Dude, Barbie just made a billion dollars at the box office. Mattel's already right. talking about doing a cinematic universe. Do you really think the executives have learned anything in the last 10 years? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. Even after Greta Gerwig said that she has, like, no plans for a sequel. She has no idea. Right. She's got two Chronicle of Narnia movies to work on. Why would she be focused yeah. on a Barbie sequel? Just because it made a billion dollars? She's not Todd yeah. Phillips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see what I did there? Yeah, I saw what you did there. Yeah. That was a good one. Right? Right? <laughs> right? Yeah, and and even still, the, look at movies coming out next year. Joker Folio Do. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Literally, the only DC film coming out next year. Yep. Literally. And it's not even, like, tied to the universe proper. It's it's an Elseworlds tale. Yep. And you know what? I bet you anything that budget doesn't exceed $150 million. And since people love the first one, there's no doubt they're going to go see the second one. Oh, for sure. Like <laughs> After what that first one did? There's not a doubt in my mind that people are going to show up for the second film. It makes me almost wonder if that's why they decided to start saying, like, oh, yeah, by the way, this is going to be a musical. Almost as if to say, like, you're still going to go see it. <laughs> I could I could make this movie a musical, and you're still going to go see it. Yep. that's Because you're going to be intrigued, and you're going to remember what I did with that first one. I'll never forget the first time I watched Joker. I was with my friend Admir. It was opening night. There were a few people in the theater. It wasn't it wasn't very full. My theater only had like a select few people in it because it was like a, a nine o'clock on a Friday. So there were only like a handful of people in it anyway. But, you know, again, like this film made a billion dollars and it's mm-hmm. weeks that it opened up. Right. And this was before COVID hit, too, which is even more crazy. Anyway. When he when Arthur gets hit with the sign, mm-hmm. me and my friend just start laughing our asses off. Like, yeah, you can't you can't help it. <laughs> well, sure, but then <laughs> the music sets in and you see yeah. the pain on his face, and you're like, oh, I probably shouldn't be laughing at this right now. Yep. And yep. so I, 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 from then on, we there was nothing to laugh at in that movie. Yeah, which. I I'd have to wonder like what what is going to make the sequel stand next to the first film if it does stand in the next first like like if you're bringing yeah. in you're bringing in lady gaga to play a, a version of harley quinn here right like what are you gonna she's gonna obviously be doing something vastly different than what what margot robbie did with the character but like yeah just how different is it gonna be this time yeah i am i mean just the fact that it you're gonna have lady gaga's harley quinn you're gonna have this musical aspect like this is. I have a feeling, this is going to be a completely different style of film, but I think why they're doing this stuff like this music, I think it's really to kind of lead people into a false sense of security. I think it's kind of make people go, oh, so this is going to be more. This is going to be more fun. It's a musical, and no, you know, I don't think Harley it's... Quinn's in there, and then they're going to sit in the theater, and then certain things are going to happen, and people are going to go, oh no, yeah, this is still. This is still Joker. Yep. I think it's 
I think it's absolutely going to maintain an R rating. I think they're going to do. Oh, some... for sure. Yeah, I, I highly doubt it's going to be anything but R. There's, <laughs> if 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 they were to do something in the PG thirteen vein, I doubt that. Number one, but number no. two, like yeah. with the way that world is, yeah, there's just no way. With the deaths that happened in that first film, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And if this film has anything to do with Arkham Asylum, and she, it based on yeah. based on the set photo, she looks just as lunatic as he does. So, yep, there's clearly if not, some, if not even more. Right. There is something about Gaga's stare in that one. There's that one photo I think of the two of them kind of staring at each other. Uh huh. That look in her eyes, you're like, oh, she is a psycho. Yeah. What what kind of absolute psychotic? nonsense is she gonna get in in this film yeah i don't know that that movie has my my interest because peaked interest out of curiosity more than like excitement because again with the way that first film is i'm like Mm -hmm. how are you gonna not necessarily top this but how are you gonna like live up to this yeah that that first film, I when I went to go see it, I went by myself. Um, my ex at the time didn't have any interest in going to see it, and so I went and saw it on my own. Um, I think it was a it was an early evening showing, mm-hmm. and there was maybe I'd say twenty five thirty people in the theater. And man, when that when those credits rolled, that was one of the first times in a long time that I had to sit in the theater for a few minutes and just kind of contemplate everything that I saw and everything that I, the emotions and the feelings that I went through in that film. I don't know that, you know, I remember just walking out of that theater, especially with that ending, like the way that ending happens and, and like Mm -hmm. the visceral nature in which, you know, you have all of Gotham in straight turmoil. You have him putting on the blood smile, the, the blood smile, the yeah. the the score from from Hilder. Like that film is just, it's a film. Like it is a straight mm-hmm. up film. Like, and that's that's just it. Like when talking about this movie, my one of my best friends when he was back here, before he you know got shipped out because he's in the Navy, we had this conversation about this movie specific, and he asked me how do you feel about Joker? And I told him, I was like, look, if you're asking me how I feel about it as a comic book fan, I'm going to tell you it's not a typical comic book film. And I think if you Mm -hmm. gauge it towards typical comic book film standards, I don't think you're going to be very, you know, pleased. But then on that other side of things, I said, look, as a film, Mm -hmm. it is one of the most technically beautifully shot well acted, well paced, beautiful well story, scored. well scored, beautiful stories I've seen. Beautiful in the sense that it's crazy. Like, yeah, th- this film should not work, and it does. Even so much so to where you, you almost want to sympathize with Arthur, but at the same time, it's like, no, you are far too you gone can't. to sympathize. You can't. You can't. Yeah. You absolutely can't. Mm-hmm. It's thought provoking. Yeah. But, and it and it takes. I wouldn't say just enough from Batman's world, but it it has enough there to where you feel a sense of familiarity Mm -hmm. to a degree. But I am, again, just 
superbly curious about that film. I'm sure we're probably going to talk about it here. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it's a little over a year away. I'm sure it's probably not going to move its release date, given the nature of the strikes happening right now. So Yeah. It's been done and shot, so they don't have to worry about doing any reshoots anytime soon. And if they did, they could probably squeeze them in at the beginning of the year if the strikes end by the end of this year. So, I don't know. All I'll just say is I'm sure we'll talk about that film more as we get more promotional things for it, if we get more, mm -hmm. if we get a trailer for it, which I'm sure we will in the coming days. Probably, I, I would guess if we're going to get a trailer for Joker, it's probably going to be either a teaser in the wintertime, if not some kind of tease in spring of 2024. That's my guess. I, I could see a teaser in the winter, but I think it'll be an extremely vague teaser. Like, I'm talking, if it's a 30-second teaser, I'm I'm saying 15 seconds of that 30-second teaser is where we'll see something. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised Todd Phillips didn't do, like, a camera test like he did the first time. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Which, neither here nor there. I don't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the less I see, the more happier I'll be going into it. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not trying to divulge into too many of these lunatic plot leaks that are going around if they're real yeah. or not like I, I I don't see too many of them for the Joker movie specifically but at the same time if, if the, the less I see the better off I am yeah but you know it's almost like we're living in a flashpoint for real <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of flashpoint the movie has a 10th anniversary coming up that, that'd be a fun one to redo because Batman is in it he plays a part in that movie yeah, that was. You know, I have not watched that in quite some time. Now that I think about it, well, we still need to renew our Max subscription so we can watch Harley Quinn and Batman again. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Um, another episode idea you actually had, which I think we should do really soon. Um, stories that we would like to see put in animation. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I was you, thinking about that the other day like after after the disappointment that you experienced with a war uh, war world, it just got me thinking like, hand. So like, what are some stories that we would like to see brought to the, this DC animated universe, not necessarily tomorrow verse, but some kind of DC animated film. Absolutely. Be down for that. Yeah. Batman or otherwise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I can already think of a few. <laughs> matter same. of fact, there, there's same. a few that were said in this episode that you could probably guess would be on a list. We should put it oh, for sure. Way. Yep. <clears throat> but that already excludes Batman vs. TMNT because that already happened. Yep. But wonder if we'll ever get the sequel to that after the little tease at the end. Honestly, with the way DC's being ran now, chances of that happening are slim to none, if you ask me yeah, personally. Probably. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That, and I, I don't think that, that Batman TMNT cracked a big enough fortune in sales to uh, warrant a sequel, but I, I I don't know. I actually do not know that off the top of my head. I'd actually have to yeah. look again and see if it if it was more successful or not. But are there any final words we want to leave our listeners before we take off for the night? Uh, nothing much. Just be good people. I mean, things are crazy every single day. But and I mean, like, look at this episode. I mean, we touched on all kinds of topics. Yeah. And yes, do we? Do we get upset at certain things? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, you know, again, I don't ever want to see projects fail. I don't ever want to see people who put their time, effort into something. I don't ever want to see that ruined. Right. But again, you've got to approach it, you know, 
these executives just need to let the creators do what they need to do. I'm honestly shocked that Greta Gerwig managed to just sign off on everything for that film, and, and she got right. away with what she got away with. Yeah. Which, again, just proves the ineptitude of, of these executives and that they really do know SFA about making a movie. Yep. But, I don't know. You know, I was actually watching something with George Lucas not too long ago, and he was talking about how the industry changed at, at one point when Jack Warner sold Warner Brothers. Not sold, but, like, stepped down, and, and Warner Brothers had new leadership. And things really started to change in terms of, you know, businesses and and how other producers would come in and basically not necessarily tell you how to do your job but tell you what should or should not be if not outright needed to be in your movie in order to sell Mm -hmm. whatever and it's just like you know the whole point of what Hollywood was built on was this theme of artistic creative integrity and when business starts to come into play it can really turn a creative thing very murky very fast yeah. it's yeah. very unfortunate with the way that things have transgressed even even now with other studios talking about using AI and implementing that Duh. to, to, to cut costs it's, it's just like are you serious right now yeah like this whole industry is is predicated on creative integrity from human beings and you're just gonna like insulate AI to cut a cost that's so narrow-minded well, and I think that's also what is leading, like we were talking about earlier, you know, the superhero movie fatigue and all this. It's not even just necessarily the superhero fatigue, but I feel like also like just movies in general, like I think I told you this. One thing that I really appreciated about the Ninja Turtles movie that I saw last week is the fact that it was only a 90 minute film. Yeah. I don't it's need every single movie that I go to see, particularly the superhero stuff it doesn't all need to be these two and a half hour, you know, experiences. It's okay to just have an adventure. Right. And that's one thing I really, really enjoyed about Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Yeah. Hollywood is just stuck in a perpetual loop of regurgitation, doing the same thing over and over again, trying to repeat success until new success happens. And they try and repeat that success. But I think that is where we are going to hang up the cape and cowls for the evening ending one. So, um, again, thanks for listening. Again, if y'all want to follow me on pretty much any platform at Unfiltered, that's Vero Threads X Instagram, just at Unfiltered with three Ds. Yep, and me, I'm on uh, right now. I'm on Threads and Instagram. Uh, Craig Omega, C R A I G G Y underscore O M E G A. That's right. And if y'all want to again follow along with our show, T E K underscore podcast, that's Instagram and X. And then if you guys want to again leave us a review, drop an email, drop an email, eternalnightpod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. We greatly appreciate it. As we always like to say, everybody, stay safe. Keep it classy in the cave. Have a great day or night. Take care.
Thank you for listening to the Eternal Night Podcast. This podcast is not affiliated with Warner Brothers Discovery or DC Studios. If you would like to follow along with the show, you can do so at just search for T-E-K underscore podcast on X, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to listen to the show, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. If you'd like to leave us an email, feel free to do so at eternalnightpod at gmail.com. Thank you for your time.